It's easy to get caught up in a never-ending cycle of busyness, never taking a moment to pause. But what if we told you that taking a moment to pause could be one of the most powerful things you could do for your life and your spiritual health? By simply taking a moment to stop and become fully present in that moment, we can access the space between two states of being, the space where growth, transformation, and change happen. We connect with the pure potential energy of the universe and allow it to flow through us. Sandy Hart joins us to share the profound power of this liminal space coming up on Exploring the Mystical Side of Life. Welcome to Exploring the Mystical Side of Life with your host, Linda Lang. Hi, this is Linda Lang from ThoughtChange.com. We are exploring the mystical side of life once again this week. If you enjoy the conversation, remember to subscribe, share it with a friend. Today, I have Sandy Hart with me. Sandy is first and foremost a grandmother and also an advocate for women's repowerment. Welcome, Sandy. Hi, Linda. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you've written a book called The Liminal Odyssey that talks about the power of the pause and the incredible alchemy that can happen. Would you please describe for us what a liminal odyssey is? Yeah, well, liminal means threshold. The word actually translates to mean threshold. It's the space between here and there. It's the space between action and crisis and action. It could be a momentary threshold. It can be a lifetime threshold. It can be an evolutionary growth spurt threshold, which I believe we are in right now. So it's not so much about that space. It's what we do in that space. It's how does that space provide us opportunity? to move and navigate and get where we need to go. And that's what liminal means. And when I learned that word liminal and started thinking about my own personal stories, because I really set out to tell a single story that happened to me in 1982 at a no nukes rally and music festival in Southern California with a hundred thousand people where I started a chant and really found my voice, really found my power. Even though I, wasn't really cognitively aware of it yet. I once about 20 years later told this story in a small gathering of strangers because I was encouraged to walk up to the front of the room and tell a story, not thinking I had any stories to tell, told this story. And since then, everyone has been imploring me to write a book about it, but I didn't have enough of a book to write until I learned this word liminal, which is just about two years ago. And I'm like, wow, what was going on inside of me? What was in that space between the crisis, the call to action that I heard and what I did with that moment and how it manifested into this magical, cool story worth telling. And the more I started thinking about it and writing, the more I started paying attention to those qualities and the things that I had since learned, such as reverent listening, 
the sacred art of listening, which I had actually been doing a deep dive into for the last 20 years. So the odyssey is what, what we do in that space and how rich our life gets when we really pay attention to that. What space are you actually talking about? Like, how would our listeners recognize the places where they have space that maybe they don't realize? I think it really requires a little bit of cultivating awareness, right? Awareness of of your surroundings, awareness of what someone says to you, awareness of what signs you see, whether it's 11 pelicans flying overhead when you're sitting there trying to figure out what to do in a relationship. Ah, perhaps that's a message. Really, now there's a message. There's the bell that's ringing that's saying, slow down to the sound and the speed of awe and wonder about what's going on around us. There's a beautiful sentence in a more beautiful poem called Wandering by Lisa Lee. I don't know that it's published. And that sentence goes, it is the child in us that knows to ask, where am I going or how do I get there is to miss the crimson red rose growing out of the crack in the sidewalk. How many cracks are we stepping over where we're not really pausing and asking, where's the miracle in this moment? When I realized the crack inside of me in 1982, an entire philosophy was born. (laughs) The Bible says, be as little children to find the kingdom. In the tarot, we have the fool that opens the door to all the other archetypes. Recognizing our archetypes is another big one. One of those skills or lessons that are mentioned in the book. And our personality is not who we are. Our personality are the conditions we operate our life in, the assumptions we make about who we are, the assumptions we make about how we respond and how we tell a story or how we see the world and the filter in which we see the world and show up in, right? But whether it's internal or external, that's our personality. Uh, And we have full control over that. So that takes awareness. And questioning assumptions is a big one too. But archetypes, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And I use the maiden mother crone archetypes to illustrate a point. To me, the space is about allowing a pause in the thinking mind and just to reflect on what is in the moment, whether it's the 11 birds flying overhead or even if it's just the breath, right? Coming in and going out and just becoming aware that you are a conscious sentient being having this experience of your body breathing what kind of alchemy can happen in this it's accessible to us all the time i think we've been duped by patriarchy's charms over millennia that we've got to go 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 do 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 have 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 right we are, we are indoctrinated by television commercials or Instagram or wherever you get your information or just driving down the road if you have billboards in your community or walking through the supermarket 
even though we might not be choosing to pay attention to what's on those magazine stands, you can't help but see it and absorb some of it. You know, I think that it's really important to just slow down again and allow us that. We have moments all day long. So to answer your question, how do you practice that? How do you create it? And I say, make it part of our personality, part of our operating system, you know, how we are and function and see the world. We've learned through neuroscience and pro-social psychology that we can train our mind with intention and will, right? Intention and will are partners. So if you've ever been on a diet, you know the importance of will. Yet the intention is always there. Well, I have the will to be more and the intention and the will to be more aware of my surroundings. And how I do that is through a simple practice. And this is a little practice I learned in 1984-ish. In the back of Success Magazine, there was a little article on how to end procrastination. All right. And what you do is five times a day with a repetition of 25 or 30. For me, I think it was two times a day, but now I, I um, kind of supercharge it to five times a day. Do it now, 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 do it now. Do that five times a day for rep of 25. And before you know it, your subconscious is now picking up on when you're procrastinating, all right? So I applied that. I wanted to kind of put this whole theory in a Petri dish and try it out. So I tried that with body awareness five times a day. What do we do five times a day? We go into the ladies' room. We go into the bathroom or the men's room, forgive me. We go into the bathroom five times a day, typically. Or we get in and out of our car, maybe a few times a day. Whatever you do on a regular basis, make that your anchor place. Or every time you walk by a mirror, whatever, whatever helps you remember to, to call up this little practice. And stop and think about for about 25 seconds, five times a day, what's going on in your body? Gosh, I've been sitting in this chair for oh, about 10, 15, 12, maybe 20 minutes now. And oh, my hips are a little sore and I didn't even realize it right? Until I just, this very moment in real time, decided to pay attention to my body, right? Oh, I've got a little pressure here. There's a little knot in my throat. Practice that body and just bring yourself back to yourself for some self-realization. What's going on inside of me right now? And before you know it, your subconscious picks up on it when you're not at your cognitive level. And it's magical. And then what happens is that strengthens the muscle of awareness that you pick up and you start seeing that crimson red rose growing out of the crack in the sidewalk. You start seeing 11 pelicans when you are looking for an answer, you know, whatever it is. I believe that this is how spirit talks to us. And these are the things that we become aware of more readily. I, I have an army of angels that are about to just hit me on the head with a brick if I don't pay better close attention. So out of respect for my support system, I do this practice. And now I don't even have to. It just comes natural. And I will add one more thing. It's a twofer practice because not only are you practicing the muscle of awareness, you're bringing yourself back to your divinity, your body, you know, this vehicle that's getting us through this existence. So valuable. It's such a powerful experience. And once you train yourself to pay attention, you receive so much guidance about things that are 
would I say, in alignment with your path, things that aren't in alignment, and you can use it for navigation. And I love that it connects you with your divinity as well. I think that's all why we are here, right? Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that because I think probably that's something all of my listeners are, are wanting to encourage and adopt and grow that connection. I believe we are all gifted with the responsibility and the privilege of a divine assignment. I used to do a workshop for kids and adults alike called Make a Difference 101. As a community builder, how do you identify where you should be out in your community doing what? And I came across a a quote from Aristotle, where your passions meet the needs of the world, therein lies your calling. So that really gave me pause to think, okay, what do I love to do? What makes me come alive? Where am I really passionate in the zone? This makes me thrilled. I can't wait to go do it. And how can that be used to serve the greater needs of my community or my family or myself? Therein lies the the definition of enlightened self-interest. And when we are operating in alignment with that divine assignment, we're showing up in the world in a way that Everything I do for the community, I'm also doing for myself. It's the most selfish thing I can do for myself. And everything I do for myself, like what I buy, you know, what I say, you know, what every move I make benefits you. And imagine a world where everybody operates in that fashion and sees that doing good for others is doing good for yourself. It's very selfish and it's very self serving. So intention is everything with that, right? It's the intention to contribute, to be of service, to shine your light as compared to the intention of getting what you want, no matter what the cost. Unless getting what you want serves everybody. And how do you know the difference? Like, How do you know the difference? In the pause. Let's just stop and think about it. And it's that pause, that stopping and paying attention to our body awareness that will help bring the guidance on the best choice. Yeah. <laughs> and we all have a body. Yeah, it's that e- it's it's kind of that easy. The the liminal odyssey has developed into a philosophy called liminal coherence that I'm working on right now and I'm doing some research on. And what I discovered through my own personal research and research from those around me. So I'm remembering all these skills, practicing timefulness, which is the pause. I coined that word. We know how to be mindful, but let's practice timefulness. Mindfulness, body awareness, uh, recognizing what archetype is in charge, unpacking some generational trauma and behavior patterns Why do I make the decisions I make? Why do I respond the way I do to relationships or or comments even, you know, on the most mundane level? Look back on your lineage and see where that came from and, and ask the questions, questioning assumptions, the trust frequency, practicing and understanding the trust frequency, which is a whole nother philosophy. 
And what happens is when you're practicing all of these things at once, they create a coherence. They're like building blocks for one other, one another. And they create like this one super skill. And I've noticed remarkable changes in my personality and how I respond to my husband and my kids or the guy driving down the road who just ran me off. Every aspect of my life has improved. So I'm exploring this to see if this is really viable, qualifying for a, you know, a whole new theory. And it's actually shaping up pretty remarkably. And it doesn't have to be those 12. There are a couple that are bonding agents that really are important to, I think, to add to whatever skills you have. But whatever you have, meditation and breathing techniques, yoga, you know, practicing your tradition of your religion or your culture in perhaps a little bit more of a reverent way or in the reverence that you already are practicing it. It reminds me so much of how many people I've talked to that need to make a decision, have a choice to make, or they're going through some challenge and they analyze everything, all the possibilities, trying to make the best decision. I had this conversation actually with my brother-in-law this morning, and this is his method. You probably make a better decision by tuning in and listening to the gut reaction or the, the intuition that is helping you on your path. And, and he actually agreed with me. He said, yeah, you go through all the ifs, ands, or buts and gives your mind something to do. And then you make the decision from your gut reaction. You're using a lot of your energy and your, your mental faculties trying to work everything out to come to the best conclusion when your body and your body sensations, your unconscious mind, your higher self that communicates through your unconscious mind can really be a guiding force for your life if you listen. And trust. Tell me about the trust frequency. Before I do, I think it's really important to know that the condition of struggling laying it all out. That's part of the human nature for our very survival. You know, here comes a tiger after me that creates a condition where I'm going to fight, flight, or freeze, right? Um, women have the condition of oxytocin where we tend and befriend and we call women into circle and we support and we're more bodily connected. So I think it's important to first honor the fact that, okay, it's reasonable to try to make sure what collateral damage might happen down the road. It's hard to do, Linda. I think it's really hard. It's a, a brilliant, you know, and worthy goal and intention to set that I'm just going to listen to my body and trust that. But fear creeps in, you know, fear of what? I love the word why. Why am I afraid? what happens? What's the worst case scenario that can happen, right? And that's probably as much energy these days as I put into that, you know, decision-making process. I'd wipe myself right into, oh, well, if the worst case scenario happens, I'm, I'm on a new journey. I'm on a new odyssey. And think about all the things that have happened in our world, in our lives that have benefited us, that were so gut-wrenching when they happened. But the truth comes out in the timefulness, in Cairo's time, the space where the truth is revealed. And that, that brings us to trust. But yeah, so the trust frequency, 
is actually a book written by Connie Baxter Marlowe and Andrew Cameron Bailey. It's a beautiful orange book, The Trust Frequency, really easy to find. In it, they lay out some real practical roadmaps to really coming into understanding trust. Fundamentally and principally, understanding that we live in an all-loving, abundant universe, right? That we are here to live our greatest life. We weren't put here to just to just learn difficult lessons and be in misery. Our intention is, is Joseph Campbell, Carl Jung have shown us, is to follow our bliss. You know, I didn't always follow my bliss. I wasn't always as cheery, <laughs> you know, but practicing this stuff has brought me to my bliss because I practice trust, knowing it's okay, you know, and also part of being duped by patriarchal charms is, oh no, we can't have any fear. We can't have any disrupt. We can't have any upset in our lives. We can't have poor relationships because if we do, our world will crumble. And, and that's where we go. Just like death. Our culture doesn't do really well with death either, but it's a part of life. It's a gorgeous part of life. It's, you know, it's sad for the people whose relationships are ending. And my heart breaks for those who have died too soon and the family they left behind. Yet death is a natural progression. And we pretend that it isn't. We pretend it's really devastating when we know it's coming, right? And so we have to question assumptions. Why are things this way? How did a, a pearl get to be a pearl? Well, there's sand in that oyster shell that grinded it and irritated it and, you know, brought it to its luster. And that's what we get the privilege to do. Yeah. We get the privilege of taking all this suffering and alchemizing it in the space in between. And remembering that life is happening for us. That's a huge one. Why is this happening? I just got punched in the stomach figuratively by somebody I really loved. And I thought they really loved me the same way. And why me? You know, <laughs> well, why not me? Because I had the capacity and the muscle strength to deal with it and not become its victim. Victimizing is a big thing. I lived in a victim mentality for probably 59 of my 61 years. <laughs> it's just sort of part of my operating system. Yeah. So it teaches us that there's always hope. Yeah. It's okay if you've lived the bulk of your life a certain way, you can still change your mind. Oh, yeah. It's our responsibility to know our mind. If spirit wants anything from us, spirit, God, the great unknowing, the great unexplainable, <laughs> however you identify, it's to know thyself. That's what I love about self-realization fellowship and Paramahansa Yogananda's work. I am Jewish. I love my tradition. I love Judaism. I'm an interfaith activist. So I absorb all kinds of philosophies all the time. Yet they all come down to the golden rule, doing to others as you would have done to yourself. And what would we be doing to ourselves? All right. I think what I love the most about your work, Sandy, is how you've come to a place where you connect everything, that everything is connected because in truth, everything is connected. And so that you are consciously applying that to the way you live life and the way you interpret what's happening, possibilities, even connection with future generations, past generations. 
the connection of your work in the world. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And it's just awareness. I've just been hyper aware. Now, I was born with that propensity, but I've discovered how it can be cultivated. And it's miraculous where the mundane becomes the miraculous and the insignificant really becomes insignificance. Cultivating synchronicities, another skill, is about that, is about connecting dots. In a workshop I, I just completed, there's a practice and it's really simple to do. The first part of it is, is very telling. And if you write down some of your most memorable experiences, you know, good and bad, joys and heartbreaks on one side of the paper, and then those people that were present at that moment, either allies or, you know, or enemies, perceived enemies, and start drawing lines, like just start drawing lines. And then on a third column, just start adding what lessons you've learned as you start drawing lines. And before you know it, you've got this Indra's net, you know, this gorgeous map of your life. And those individuals and those circumstances are pearls on the net. They're the reflective pearls and the connecting points on that Indra's net, you know, this vast net that spans the universe, right? Looks like a great big geometrically perfect spider web. Beautiful. Sandy, if people would like to learn more about how they can tap into alchemy and the power of the pause, where can we send them? To liminalodyssey.com. And there you can reach out to me. Any last closing comments you'd like to make? I'm grateful for everybody who's listening to this. I'm extremely grateful for your generous hospitality here, Linda, and your acute listening skills. <laughs> And your intention and your will to bring messages like this into the world. And I, I'm, I'm just bowing deeply. There is one thing I'd like to share with you real quick. In uh, Japanese ideograms, the, you know, these, these symbols in Japanese culture that have meaning, the ideogram of Ma, M-A, is depicted by a sun between two gates. And it refers to the space in between. And it also refers to the depth and the length of the bow to show respect. It, it's the space in the rhythm in the tango. It's the time you spend with a piece of art. And so in that mind, bowing deeply to you with a very long, thoughtful, careful, and graceful bow. And I thank you. Thank you so much. And I really do encourage the listeners to find that pace where they can stop and appreciate life because that's what it's all about. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Exploring the Mystical Side of Life. You will find all of our conversations on YouTube, Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio. Come visit me at thoughtchange.com. Learn what energy medicine can do for you. Check out my program, Alchemy from the Inside Out, and we will see you again next time. Bye for now.